Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores the letters to the churches in Revelation and how they speak to us today. Let's jump right into today's teaching. So as Phil said, this is the last Sunday in this uh, series of seven weeks on the the way that Jesus looks into the heart of the church in the book of Revelation. I trust this challenged you as we see the church and also the glory of our Lord. Remember that these are the words that come from Jesus, who is always the Lord and always the head of the church. He speaks from his place right now of power and glory. He has insight to see what lies beneath the surface. He can touch the motives that we cannot see. He can feel the pulse of our heart. I think the church is going to face, it is facing and will continue to face tough times in the next decade or so. My sense is that the biggest challenge that we will have will come in the whole subject of sexual identity and gender confusion and how we face that. We will have to be faithful to the truth. I say that. So Jesus is the Lord who walks amongst the candlesticks of the church. He opens every door. He sees what's in every closet. Nothing is hidden from his sight. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and invite Marianne Crow to come and read for us Revelation chapter 3, 14 to 22. This is the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. As I say many Sunday mornings, this will leave so much behind. I realize that. It's with unusual frankness and bluntness, I think, that Jesus opens the door of this church in the city of Laodicea, walks amongst the candlesticks and silently sees what's going on. And then he commands John to write really a scathing report, a biting analysis. The core of his message is you're lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. In the original Greek language, uh, the words are even more crude and they're rougher. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. As we would probably say, you make me throw up. We'll see why in a moment. I think as we've learned in each city in in this journey, the, the local geography and the context of each city in the church often sets the stage for the tone and the message of the letter. No different here. Laodicea was famous for three things. Number one, it was a very wealthy city. 
It had many banks that were doing well. The city was financially prosperous. Around 60, 61 AD, uh, the city had been leveled by an earthquake. But Rome offered financial assistance to build it back. The city said, no, thank you. We'll do fine. They'll manage by themselves. Secondly, it was famous for the clothing industry, especially a glossy wool that came from sheep that were bred nearby, produced a tunic that um, was known as a trimata, exported all over the place. And thirdly, the city had a very famous medical school, and it was known for an eye salve that developed there. Now, these three things, wealth, clothing, and medicine, remember that. The city, it seemed to have all that it needed. More than that, the church reflected the spirit in the city. Perhaps that what happens. Daryl Johnson, who many of you know, is a, just an excellent pastor and preacher in the West Coast here, helps us to see what Jesus means when he talks about hot and cold. That's, that's often misunderstood. We need to understand that both conditions, hot and cold, are really good in their own way. Hot does not mean good and cold does not mean bad. The point is that hot and cold were shaped by the geographic realities of the area. Hierapolis had warm hot springs. Colossae, not very far away, had cool, refreshing water. Both were good. The point was Laodicea was neither. And when you mix the warm middle water with the cool, refreshing water, you end up with something that would make you want to throw up. So Jesus speaks to his church. And too quickly we see words of condemnation. I think they really got a tone of sadness and compassion. The Lord is grieved to see and to feel the spirit. He wants them to change. So remember the hallmarks of the city, wealth, clothing, and medicine, particularly I self. We'll come back to those. And he's saying to us really that only when we acknowledge our spiritual poverty as a church and as people can we know the wealth of authentic faith. He's remember that Laodicea was a wealthy city. It had turned down federal aid. We can do it ourselves. And how easy it is for a church to breathe that same atmosphere. What they had not realized as a church was when they seek wealth by the world's definition of wealth, they would actually end up in spiritual poverty. You see, the enemy of the life and the power of the spirit is always arrogance. It is always self-sufficiency. That's a warning that's given away back in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me read a few verses for you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, in other words, when you're doing really well, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, through thirsty, waterless land with his venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, to something your fathers had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. So we need to understand, folks, that the kingdom of God has a different economic base. 
It has a different exchange rate from society. A wealthy church may not impress a city. Whatever resources we have here are for service and ministry. What does impress and speak to people are the transformed lives of men and women and in our baptism this morning, young people who name the name of Jesus and who live an authentic faith. Authentic faith is not perfect. It is only real in the battle and in the struggles of life. And so First Peter says to us, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but, but these have come so that your faith of even greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine, may result in the praise, the glory, and the honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, Peter is reminding us, we may face, and I know some of you have gone through these deep water, we may face sickness, we may face family struggles, we may face pain, we may face setbacks, but the wealth of an authentic faith comes through not because we escape these things, but because we can bring these things to the cross and they are refined and distilled by the love of God our Father. So when our lives go through these refining moments and experiences, we're not perfect, but they're proven to be genuine and authentic. And Jesus is asking that we would be a church of authentic people, living lives that are authentic, which means they are refined by the life and by the love of the Father. That's what makes us a people in a church who are rich and wealthy in the sight of God and the economics of the kingdom. Where do we find this? Well, we read in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me, buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. In other words, when we're looking for authenticity, when we're looking for success, when we're looking for significance, don't shop in the world. You won't find these things on Wall Street or wherever, but buy from my storehouse, says God. Buy from me. That calls us to be men and women and young people who are rich in terms of character, who live in the prosperity of authenticity. And again, only when we acknowledge our spiritual vulnerability will we live an authentic life on the inside. Remember the clothing industry, the export market that came out of Laodicea, that fine glossy wool that came from sheep. And so it made Laodicea a city that was fashion conscious and a church copied the fashion of the city it looked well-dressed on the outside, but really, it was spiritually naked. Can you, can you catch the vital cacophony of ideas? You think you're well-dressed, but really, in terms of Scripture, you're naked. And in Scripture, the idea of being naked is usually associated with shame and disgrace. I think that's why in the reference to marriage back in Genesis chapter 2, it says the man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed. Not ashamed. Small digression. Nakedness in marriage, as we know, is, is not just a physical thing. It refers to being naked in terms of our emotions, in terms of our feelings. 
perhaps the word we would use today is the word vulnerable. I think there are many, many marriages which sadly may know physical nakedness, but they don't know the same degree of emotional nakedness. A husband and wife still have secrets. There's areas that they cover up. They are less than authentic marriages. So back. Remember the city was famous for wool, which came from these black sheep. And perhaps the suggestion, perhaps the indictment is that these Christians, are just like us, are so often seeking to be fashionable. And it is a superficiality which has nothing, nothing to do with being well-dressed. It's the seduction of externalism. It's the seduction of thinking that if we look good on the outside, then people will be impressed. Even more, if we look good on the outside, we might actually think that we're good on the inside. When Jesus, when we fall into that kind of trap of just looking good on the outside, Jesus says we're really naked. We're simply making the outside look good. Whereas, what about the inside? That's where the real work of the heart and the spirit is needed. Again, verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire and white clothes to wear so that you may cover your shameful nakedness. So Jesus wants to dress our inner lives with character. He wants to dress our inner heart and spirit with the kind of clothes that God designs for us. You find those in a lot of places. Here's one in Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's us, holy and dearly beloved, that's us, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive each other, whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgives you. And over all of these things, Jesus says, put on love, which binds us all together in perfect unity. And over all these things, put on love. When we wear these kinds of clothes, folks, we're not naked at all. We're not living externally. Rather, we're living clothed with the grace of Christ. Remember the three things, wealth, clothing, medicine, particularly eye ointment. We come to the third indictment on the church. Only when we acknowledge our blindness will we have the insight which comes from spiritual truth. So you see, the church looked at the city with the same eyes as everyone else does. But Jesus says it is really blind. When we see homeless or poor people and think of them as somehow being less valuable than us, we are blind. When we see wealthy people and we think that they're more valuable than, than we are, we're blind. Remember, one sentence, Christianity does not have a moral base. Do you remember that one? Christianity does not have a moral base. Every time you hear the tune, whether it's in bagpipes or we sing Amazing Grace, that's what we're saying. Christianity does not have a moral base. It is based only on the saving faith and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, 
I can come and put healing ointment on your eyes. I can open your eyes so that you can see. You will look at the same things, the same people, the same city, but you will see it differently. You see, God is always concerned about the quality and the health of our inner eye. That's why the Beatitudes say to his blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the prayer of Paul in Ephesians. I pray, he says, that the eyes of your heart will be opened. And so what the city always needs is men and women who do not simply see the externals, but who can look at a city with insight, with compassion, with vision. We're not all there yet, but we can open a door of, door of hope. So Jesus says to us, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. We need to understand in our family lives and maybe as we raise children, that discipline is different from punishment. Punishment always looks back to what we did wrong. Discipline looks ahead to how our lives can be changed and better prepared for what is ahead. That's why Hebrew says to us, our fathers, it means our parents, for a little while as they thought for our best. You ever heard this? God disciplines for our good so that we might share in his holiness. You got that? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So when we're going, folks, when we're going through some tough stuff and some difficult times, let's not be too quick to assume that God is punishing us. God may be disciplining us. That's different. Sometimes God's punishment on a world or a city or people is, you know what, is simply to leave us alone to allow us to bear the fruit of our own decisions so that what we sow, we reap. But God's discipline is when he is actively engaged with us. He does not leave us alone. He loves us too much for that. And God comes as the, the patient lover waiting to be invited into our heart. So we need to ask some deep questions of our heart. Where does our real wealth come from? Do we look just good on the outside? Are we really well-dressed on the inside? Is our inner eye healthy? Or are we blind? So we end this series really as Revelation begins with a picture of our Lord in power and glory waiting to get from his Father the order to return. I turned to see a voice. Isn't that a strange phrase? I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, a golden sash around his chest. His hair, his head and the ear were, hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings, in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. And it would mean so much to us if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. It's one of the best ways you can help us spread the truth of the gospel online. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria Podcast.